Father, we simply pray that this word that you've preserved for us, that we're looking at today, would uh, fulfill your good purposes for us as we read it and as we take it to heart. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The days, in my opinion, the days of the soapbox preacher on the street corner, I think they're, for the most part, over. I suspect some of us, some of the young'uns especially in our congregation, don't even know what a soapbox preacher is. Uh, Those of you who do know, bear with me a little while while we explain and take a trip back in time to the good old days. Uh, We're talking about the 1870s, maybe through till the First World War, where uh, apparently street corner soapboxing was a thing. Um, People would literally get a soap box, which was a wooden crate that manufacturers used to ship the merchandise in. Um, wooden crates, that was the shipping technology of the day before corrugated fiberboard or cardboard. And this is rather self-explanatory, but a soap box was this rectangular wooden box that you uh, pack soap in. Boxes of soap get shipped in soap boxes. Anyway, your, your would-be public speaker would take their soap box, turn it upside down, uh, put it down on their chosen street corner, and stand on top of it uh, like a temporary platform, a mini stage that puts them just head and shoulders above everyone else on street level. And then they would, uh, with no microphone, no amplification, just the soapbox, their voice box, and the open air start to speak. And people would actually stop and listen in the 1870s through to the World War I times. Because apparently back in the day, working class people had... Uh, Very little money to spend on entertainment, and there's no Netflix, and these public speakers pushing some social or political or religious agenda, they were treated as uh, mass entertainment that was cheap or free and easily accessible, as well as sometimes being a little bit informative. And sometimes the authorities would... um, get some of these guys in trouble, especially if the crowd involved got rowdy because of the hot topic that was being talked about, or if the speaker drew such a big crowd that uh, it blocks the whole street. But in our culture today, if you can imagine someone trying to do this in George Street or somewhere busy in our city, I can't see it working. In a busy strip in the city, sometimes you see um, buskers or you see musicians and street performers doing their thing. Around election time, you see politicians hitting the streets. But an unsolicited open-air sermon, you'd need to be an exceptional preacher. And I suspect even then, uh, most people would just ignore you as they walk past you. Or you have to be prepared to be told to move it along uh, with varying degrees of intensity, depending on who it is that you've rubbed up the wrong way. But here in, in Acts 2, a passage for today that was read out right at the beginning of the service, we, we get shown this mini-sermon that the Apostle Peter delivers essentially on a street corner in Jerusalem to this crowd that's gathered. And the crowd that's here, if you remember last week, at the start of chapter 2 in Acts, the crowd is here because of the rather loud racket that the followers of Jesus were making. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Uh, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, 
a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So following on from this attention-grabbing outpouring of the Spirit of God, Peter continues his address to the Jews who'd come around to see what the fuss was all about. And these were Jews who hailed from all over the known world who come together into Jerusalem on this day for the Pentecost festival. You might know three times a year the faithful Jew was meant to come together, particularly into Jerusalem for these big religious feast days, and the Feast of Pentecost was one of them. So they're here, and Peter begins to explain to them that what they're seeing, what they're hearing, was an outpouring of the Spirit of God, and that it's a sign. It's what their prophets spoke about in the Old Testament. In the last days, God will make things like this happen, where the Spirit of God is is seen and heard. And now is the time, Peter's saying, now is the time to pay attention. Because in their hearing, in their presence, God is doing something. And where we start today, verse 22 of Acts 2, Peter spells out the grounds of his convictions about Jesus. And it's very effective. Before this incident, we're told in chapter 1 that the followers of Jesus, they numbered about 120 people. But after this address, uh, this this bit that Peter does today, about 3,000 more people are added to their number and join these disciples, which I got a calculator out when I was preparing this, and I think it's something like a 2,600% growth in the number of followers of Jesus in the course of one day. If you're in sales or if you're trying to grow your small business, 2,600% growth in the course of one day is not bad. So you have to ask, what is it that takes this crowd who starts off making jokes about them drinking too much, but they end the day with a church of 3,000 extra bodies, baptized and meeting together? What turns them around? And in short, what you'll find in what you see in this passage is that it's the news of the resurrection of Jesus. God actually raising Jesus from the dead is the foundation. It is the pillar that the early church is built on. And the Apostle Paul, in another letter writing to the church in Corinth, uh, says this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Because if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. But if Christ has been raised, there are huge, life-changing, world-changing implications, which uh, these 3,000 people apparently realized this day that Peter told them about it. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation. And you need your foundations to be solid. That's the case in any building project. It's even true for uh, plants and and trees. Uh, A big, tall tree is only standing big and tall because underneath the ground... It's got its roots, its foundation sunk deep and wide to hold the big thing up. We had a big tree fall down near our place in the cul-de-sac just last week as part of the crazy wind that came and went during one of the evenings. Had our car parked on the curb right next to where it fell down. Uh, The trunk of the tree missed our car by a couple of metres, thankfully. Um, Just the smaller branches ended up draping over the bonnet. 
But we had a look, uh, me and a couple of neighbours went to, to move this thing out of the way for the council to, to cut it up the next day. It wasn't just the wind that toppled this tree. We had a look and the tree used to sit uh, on the cliff just above where it fell down. And it seemed what happened was that the tree slipped down and fell off the cliff because it was perched very, pretty precariously on the edge and the dirt around its roots uh, had eroded away over time softened because of the wind and the rain that we've been having these last months or so. Not, not continuous rain, but every so often a downpour would just take a bit more of the cliff away and this tree left, was left exposed. Enough of the roots were exposed, it seems, that there was just nothing left for these roots to grab onto. And so with the weight of the tree, uh, with a little bit of wind and a bit more rain, all it was waiting for was just this storm to happen, a bit of storm water, a bit of wind, and not enough foundation to hold it up, the whole thing came down. Construction projects are a bit like that too. You might have seen developments in recent years uh, in your suburb, popping up everywhere it seems. Uh, lots of medium density apartments and things being zoned and every developer and his dog seems to be doing these things everywhere. As you drive past them, you, you see them when they're starting to put up the security fencing and you look over and you see basically a big hole in the ground. Uh, for a long, 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 long time. Uh, the one next to Thornley Station on Penny Hills Road is still a massive hole in the ground. It seems like it's been like that for, for months. But it's not like nothing is happening. They're digging a great big hole and doing work in that great big hole because they've got to sink foundations deep to keep a medium-density residential apartment standing. And you know as well as they do that if they don't lay the proper groundwork, if the, if the workmanship at this point is dodgy, if what you're building on is problematic, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing is going to come tumbling down, and no one wants that. It's like that with trees, it's like that with buildings, it's like that with our beliefs. You want a firm foundation, because without that, eventually it's going to come crashing down. But if what you're building on is solid, you're good. And the bulk of the time that Peter spends in this little sermon here in Acts 2, he spends most of his time establishing this foundation of Jesus' resurrection. And the way it reads, I think Peter is assuming they've heard something of Jesus. That's a pretty safe assumption to make because Jesus has been what every Jewish person at the time was talking about in and around Jerusalem. In the three years of Jesus' public ministry, all throughout this region, he'd made a splash in the Jewish religious scene. Because many people, wherever he went, had seen him and were talking about all the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing, particularly in his healing. And the other thing Jesus was known for was the authority in his manner of teaching. And that also impressed a lot of people at the time. So much so that the religious institution of the day, they felt so threatened by Jesus that they wanted to get rid of him. Only 50 days earlier was the Passover, uh, that festival, the other festival where Jesus was arrested and crucified. Verse 22. Uh, you get the impression from what Peter starts speaking to them about that they knew Jesus. He says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, uh, to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, 
put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter starts off his address by pointing the finger squarely at this crowd. You are responsible for having Jesus killed. And there's a good chance that some of the Jews who were there listening to this address in Acts 2, many of them may have been in Jerusalem at the time uh, when Jesus was arrested and his trial happened. Just 50 days prior to this, at the other key religious festival which these people may have been at. If they're in town for Pentecost, they may well have been in town for Passover. And they may well have been part of the ones crying out about Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, not that long ago. Incited by the teachers of the law and the religious leaders who were jealous. And even if they weren't there, they certainly would have heard about it. But what people might not have realized is what happened after Jesus died. Verse uh, 24. Uh, Peter continues, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And down in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, Peter says, and we are all witnesses of it. Everyone had heard that Jesus was crucified, but these disciples, they're saying, we have seen him risen from the dead. Which is a big deal, because if he's been raised from the dead by God, then these Religious leaders and the people who had him crucified for being a blasphemer. Jesus said he was from the Father. They didn't believe him. Jesus said he was the Son of God. They didn't believe him. That's why they killed him. But if God has raised this Jesus from the dead, and he really is alive, and doesn't that mean that God has vindicated this man? And that this man really was the Son of God. This man really was from the Father. And if that's who he was, if he was who he says he was, if God's really raised him from the dead, then they suddenly need to pay attention to what's going on here in a way which they might have disregarded before. And the Jews Peter was talking to, they of all people had the background, knowledge and expectations of generations of faithful Jews to draw on, to make sense of what it means to finally have this one amongst them who's able to conquer death. The Jewish people had always had this hope that God would bring them a Messiah, a chosen one, a saviour who'd lead the way to a better and brighter future. And what Peter does in this little mini-sermon here is draw a link between this coming Messiah, their expectations, and the person of Jesus. He does it through quoting two Old Testament Psalms written by Israel's own King David. And the lazy preacher in me really appreciates passages like this because it does all the work for me. I can just read to you Peter's sermon where he joins all the dots for us and explains what he's talking about. So that's what I'm going to do. He quotes uh, this psalm that King David wrote. Verse 25. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Peter continues, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. 
but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised to him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. His point is, Jesus is this Messiah, because Jesus is the one who's been raised from the dead. And God gives this Messiah authority like no one else on earth. And here Peter quotes another one of David's psalms that talks about just that, the authority that God gives to his Messiah. Uh, Peter continues, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And here David's psalm is, talk, is about God giving his Messiah a position of authority, his right-hand man. David isn't writing about himself. Peter interprets it for you. He says, David was writing about Jesus, this Messiah that God's raised from the dead. Now verse 33. Peter says, Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter is trying to connect the dots here for this crowd of Jewish people seeing uh, the miraculous ability to speak foreign languages that the Spirit has enabled and that the Spirit of God is given to his disciples by Jesus who has the authority to do that because he is now sitting at God's right hand. The sign is evidence of the authority of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is alive to be able to do this. And so the bottom line of Peter's message, verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You crucified him, Peter said, but God raised him from the dead, and we, says Peter, we are all witnesses of the new life that is in Jesus. Everyone saw Jesus die, and the disciples, they buried him, and the disciples are saying, now we've seen him alive again. And that is their foundation, their reason for hope. And the thing that turned them around from being scared witless in the upper room to being so bold now in public, declaring what they believe about Jesus, being convinced that he's come back from the dead, they speak about him and they draw attention to what God has done. Now, if Jesus really is the Messiah, if he really is Lord, that deserves a response from all of us. And we'll look at that in a little more detail in the passage next week. Uh, as Peter continues and, and the crowd respond to him, we see that next week. But for this week, I think you can learn something from, from Peter. Even though you might not have been there to see Jesus in the flesh, like the disciples did, like Peter did, and even though we might not have the Spirit of God manifest in our life so that we can be enabled to speak spontaneously in a foreign language, I don't know if that's a common experience to any of us, but let me ask you, do you share in Jesus' resurrection life? And do you have his spirit at work in you and renewing you? 
Because if we do, we can bear witness to what we're seeing God do in our lives. And we can all point people to these accounts of people who were there, these testimonies that affirm the resurrection of Jesus. Would you learn the stories of Jesus so you can confidently share what you know about him? And the people we're talking to are different from the people that Peter was talking to. People we're talking to might not be carrying around with them this Jewish expectation of a coming Messiah. Uh, People you're talking to may not have a deep knowledge of the Old Testament Psalms, so when you're talking to them, you might not use this approach that Peter used. But you don't often have to walk too far with people to recognize in them a spiritual void and a dissatisfaction with the way things are now that can only be filled with new life that Jesus can bring. New life, new creation, real hope. That's what we need in this world. And Christians aren't the only one to be able to see that. People feel and people need new life, new creation, new hope. And we see the glorious possibility of that in the resurrection of Jesus. There is the evidence of the power of God. There is the evidence that God cares, that he would send someone to come and do this for us. And he is at work now by his spirit to make this Jesus known. Uh, May God empower us even this week, even tomorrow, so that people would see in us our hope in the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.